It was the jungle primary and it was wild. Why are both Democrats and Republicans then breathing a sigh of relief today? Plus, it's described as the president's new favorite thing. And it's not raindrops on roses or whiskers on kittens. And Donald Trump takes his fight with a major football team into overtime. This is the State of America tonight. President Trump goes to FEMA headquarters today for a briefing on the 2018 hurricane season. The American people deserve the facts about what happened. Yes, Mr. President, this is a real catastrophe. Now we have learned that the White House is prepared to pardon dozens more people. I have seen no evidence to the contrary of the initial assessment that Chairman Gowdy has made. And the FBI has been beat up by this president. The fact that they have the speaker now coming out in support of them uh, cannot be understated. Why was that canceled? Probably because we didn't go. You know, I was looking forward to it. I'm Kate Baldwin, live in New York. To our viewers watching around the world, this is State of America tonight. Right now, the President and First Lady are at the Federal Emergency Management Headquarters at the, um, as the nation prepares for the start of another hurricane season. And that has us thinking about storms ahead and storms behind. Hanging over the President's visit is one huge storm. New estimates that Hurricane Maria last year killed many, many times more people than the government really acknowledges yet. All along, the White House has touted the federal disaster response in Puerto Rico as an A-plus effort. This was the president during his visit there in October. Now, what is your, what is your death count as of this moment? 17? 16 certified. 16 people certified. 16 people versus in the thousands. Uh, you can be very proud of all of your people, all of our people working together. 16 versus literally thousands of people. Uh, you can be very proud. The official death toll now stands at 64, but the reality is a new, a new study estimates the number was actually 70 times higher. More than 4,600 people could have been killed. That is from a new study coming out of Harvard. The White House is not commenting on it, hasn't commented on it yet directly when asked directly. Democratic lawmakers, though, are now pushing back, demanding a 9-11-style commission to investigate. The numbers, the real numbers, uh, were, were concealed, uh, that didn't provide a real story as to the severity of the disaster in Puerto Rico and gave uh, this opportunity for the president to continue to say that the response of the federal government was appropriate. Well, in fact, it wasn't. It was incompetent at best. This administration failed Americans. This administration's lack of action and thought killed many of these Americans. Puerto Rico is clearly uh, President Trump's most significant failure. That storm is now far from passing, especially since the hurricane season started June 1st. And that's not the only storm on the horizon for this White House, a storm of controversy now over the presidential pardon. pardon. We've already talked much about how this is one of the president's few absolute powers laid out in the Constitution. Well, now sources are telling CNN just how much he really, really likes this power. Sources say the president is considering at least 30 new pardons. Sources say the president is obsessed and fixated on his ability to wipe someone's record clean by the stroke of a pen. No permission needed. If he goes forward with even more of these pardons, this is so far beyond 
anything that we have seen in modern history. He really has found this piece of executive power, and he is testing how far he can exercise it. And today he's getting some more exercise, if you will, announcing that he's commuting the sentence of Alice Johnson, a woman who's been serving a life sentence for her role in a drug trafficking ring. She's a nonviolent offender, and it was her first offense. Her cause has been championed by reality TV star Kim Kardashian, who met with the president, as you see there, in the Oval Office to talk about it. So how far is the president going to go with this? Who's next? One former federal prosecutor says he's already heading down a slippery slope. I think it's really an extraordinary abuse of that power. The pardon attorney system in the Justice Department, it's a very cautious one. They want to make sure that the people are deserving. They want to make sure that there's been time for the people to show atonement. And don't forget the president has also tried to make clear he thinks he can even go so far as to pardon himself. The Republican House Speaker, Paul Ryan, today doesn't seem to share that confidence. Uh, I don't know the technical answer to that question, but I think obviously the answer is he shouldn't and no one is above the law. I'll leave it at that. Okay, you leave it at that and we will move on, but not too far because that's not the only news that Paul Ryan made today. Remember this headline from way back uh, last week. Republican congressman receives classified briefing on FBI informant and concludes no evidence that FBI planted a spy in the Trump campaign. I know. It does feel like it was five years ago already. So let's refresh our memories. Here's Republican Trey Gowdy. I am even more convinced that the FBI did exactly what my fellow citizens would want them to do when they got the information they got and that it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. Since then, Donald Trump has not backed down, however, and is still claiming there are spies among us and still suggesting it is the biggest political scandal since Watergate. Again, so far, no proof. Now, re-enter Paul Ryan. Uh, I think, uh, but, but we have some more digging to do. Uh, we're waiting for some more document requests. We have some more documents to review. We still have someone answer questions. It would have been helpful if we got this information earlier. As Chairman Nudis said just the other day, if we got all the information we we're looking for, we could wrap this up faster. But I have seen no evidence to the contrary of, of the initial assessment that Chairman Gowdy has made. So it seems this storm has passed, but President Trump is still clutching on to that umbrella. So let's move from storms at the moment to waves, I guess. All that talk of a blue wave crashing into Washington, Democrats winning so many seats in the midterms that they win back control of at least the House, maybe even the Senate, come January. Well, last night was a key test. Seven seats currently held by Republicans in the state of California were in districts won by Hillary Clinton in 2016. And that means big potential pickups for Democrats running to take over. So what happened? Well, the blue wave is still rolling, but Republicans are also still surfing along. There was a real risk in as many as three seats that Hillary Clinton carried in Orange County, which had been reliably Republicans for decades where Ronald Reagan got his start, but which voted for Clinton in 2016, the first Democrat to carry it in 80 years. There was a real risk in three districts there that Democrats would have been shut out. Instead, it certainly appears they're going to be on the ballot. So those Democrats fight on now to the general election, which is held in November, also fighting on both Democrats and Republicans in the key governor's race again in California. It's a liberal blue state, so the Democrat has the advantage, as he made clear last night. This is only the first half of the election calendar, but thanks to you, 
The halftime score is looking very promising, and the home team is winning big. There was a chance. There was a chance a Republican wouldn't even make it on the ballot because of the wacky rules of the state primary system there. <laughs> I will not bore you the details, but alas, those fears were unfounded. Republican John Cox is also fighting on. Make it affordable, make it livable, make it safe, make it truly a state that we can be proud of. Let's together make California the golden state once again. If that sounds something familiar, it's not by coincidence. John Cox got a big boost late in the game by way of a presidential endorsement, something the president himself couldn't resist touting today in a tweet. The Trump impact, he writes, was really big, much bigger than they ever than they ever thought possible. So much for the big blue wave. It may be a big red wave working hard. Something the president is definitely not endorsing right now, the Philadelphia Eagles football team. First, there was the invite to the White House to celebrate the Super Bowl win, then the uninvite to the White House, and then in its place, President Trump held what he billed as a celebration for America. All this stemming from the continued controversy over the rights of players to protest on the field by kneeling during the national anthem at games. Something the president isn't letting go of anytime soon. He's basically making a very simple request that when the national anthem is played at a sporting event, people stand and people respect that. And I know everybody's saying, but nobody kneeled, nobody. There obviously are some hurt feelings over the new policy. It's timing and it's content. It's important to note here, no Eagles players had taken part in protests during the past season. A fact that didn't go unnoticed by a Republican congressman from the very same state as the Eagles football team. It was disappointing for a lot of us not having the White House ceremony. I take issue with the fact that we somehow turned it into um, a dispute over whether players should be allowed to kneel during the national anthem or not. I do think yesterday the president, just the way he went about doing it, uh, was playing a little bit of po- was playing politics with it, to be sure. The coach of the Eagles spoke out for the first time about the invite and then the snub from the White House. Listen to him. Why was that canceled? Probably because we didn't go. You know, I was looking forward to it. You know, I mean, listen, you win a, you win a world championship or, a, or an NCAA title or, or anything championship, and, and you know, you 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 wanna you wanna be recognized that way. Uh, you know, I think it's great. It's over. It's behind us. We're moving on. So Doug Penderson says he's moving on, but is the president not a chance when he sees it as a winning political issue through the midterm and beyond? Let's talk now about another big issue facing the White House. Trade and a potential trade and a potential trade war brewing. The G7 summit is just days away and America's allies are already punching back over the tariffs that Donald Trump announced. Jeremy Diamond is at the White House for us right now. Jeremy, what is the White House saying about this right now? Well, Kate, uh, the state of our trading relationships right now with the United States is not great. Uh, and that much uh, Larry Kudlow appeared to acknowledge today from the White House briefing room when he made clear that there are some residual tensions between the United States and key allies, Canada, Mexico, the European Union uh, in particular, over this decision from last week to impose these steel and aluminum tariffs. And there is also no end in sight as far as the U.S.'s trade dispute with China is concerned. Uh, no resolution from Wilbur Ross's, uh, this Commerce Secretary's visit last week to Beijing. Uh, so the rhetoric is continuing to escalate and the threats of retaliation appear to be very real. All of this coming as the president prepares to head to Canada 
later this week for the G7 summit. And those trade tensions are going to be top of mind uh, for the president and many of these leaders with whom he's going to be meeting with. Uh, Larry Kudlow, again, the chief economic advisor to the president, acknowledged uh, those tensions. But he did say that he believes the United States, Canada and all of these other countries will remain strong allies and friends. Uh, All of this is also coming on the heels of the president's testy phone call last week with the Canadian prime minister, Justin Trudeau. Uh, uh, Our reporting today uh, indicates that that call was very, very contentious after the president slapped those tariffs. And if you remember your American history, well, the president did not appear to, as he suggested, that Canada was responsible for uh, the burning of the White House in 1812. That, of course, was the United Kingdom. Uh, And uh, so that was something that the president apparently told the Canadian prime minister last week. Perhaps they'll hash it out again when they see each other in Canada at the end of this week. Kate? Yes, bring along your history books. The War of 1812, that's going to solve everything. Maybe that was a joke. Not a very funny one at all. Thanks, Jeremy. Great to see you. Coming up, the voters speak. (laughs) What's their message after the biggest primary night of the year? The panel's next. Eight states voted in primaries last night, and they're still counting ballots in parts of California. Both Democrats and Republicans have something to celebrate. So are the results an early indicator of what party is going to be the big winner in November? I have no idea. That's why they're here. (laughs) Panel tonight, Joe Borelli, Republican member of the New York City Council. Charles Blow, CNN political commentator and the columnist for The New York Times. Evan Siegfried is a Republican strategist and author of GOP, GPS. And Harry Enten is a CNN politics senior writer and analyst. All right, the jungle primary. Harry, what's your biggest takeaway from last night? I think my biggest takeaway, at least in California, is there was all this talk that the jungle primary was going to hurt Democrats. They were going to not get candidates into the fall campaign in a number of districts that were held by Republicans, but that Hillary Clinton won in 2016. And as the vote results look right now, they, in fact, made it in all of the districts, in all the districts mm-hmm. where they were thought they were not going to make it. Democrats are either in first or second place and therefore will have a candidate in the full campaign. They're at least one step further, right? Not even close to guaranteed in the end. How, what, how should Democrats be feeling right now? Well, uh, I don't think that it was uh, the, most, the stellar night for Democrats, okay. but it was not a setback for Democrats, right? So it, it, I don't, but I don't think it is necessarily a harbinger for the fall. I think that in pockets, particularly pockets not on the coast, mm-hmm. Uh, where people really feel like they have not had a voice, and we saw that in Alabama, uh, feel like they, they now want to make a stand, that they are going to do that in November. And people feel like, I see this all the time, people feel like they don't know what to do. They're not happy with what, the direction of the country. They're not happy with Trump. They're not happy with this Congress coddling him. And they haven't found something to put that energy into. I believe that that group of voters will have their first chance to exhale and actually do something that has an impact, and it will be in November, and they will show up at the polls to make that their voices heard. So th- is California going to say, okay. do we look at that and say, oh, this is, it's not going to be a blue wave? I think that would be a mistake. Mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of people who want to have a say. And they're going to do that. Uh, Evan, on the, the, in the governor's race, right, it, we didn't know if Cox was going to get on the ballot. He did because of those just wonderful, weird rules that <laughs> California has. Um, Trump endorsed him. And Trump 
touted that endorsement, saying that it's, the Trump impact was really big especially when it comes to Cox. Do you think that that is what it was? Do you think, though, a Republican running for governor in the state of California, it benefits them to bear hug Donald Trump as you head into the general election? <laughs> <laughs> I could bear hug a porcupine and I'd probably come out looking better than what John Cox would. <laughs> you but wouldn't, it would be painful. The president talked about, Gavin Newsom also wisely went out and attacked John Cox instead of his other Democrats who were challenging him to elevate John Cox to get Republicans to come out and support him. The president tweeted this morning that there's going to be this red wave maybe now because of what happened <laughs> in California. And that's false. I mean, the RNC put out a talking point today saying, 68% of Republicans came out and voted in the primaries versus 44% of Democrats. But it doesn't note how Democrats are actually seeing their ranks increase in California. They went up to 44% in one year versus 42 the year before. And Republicans, on the flip side, went from 28% last year to 25% of the California electorate. Only the diehard Republicans who already vote are mm-hmm. staying in the party. You're seeing a mass exodus of millennials, and you're seeing suburban married white women turn away from Republicans in races all across the country, including last night in a special election in Missouri, which saw a Trump plus 20 county go to plus five for a Democrat. Joe, what's what are you thinking after last night? Um, well, a couple of things. I mean, you know, Evan's trying to get us lost in some of the numbers, but it's never good. <laughs> I love numbers. Don't numbers you, are great. Numbers don't are great. Numbers, numbers are facts. But headlines are in the news I business. Don't like facts. Headlines are pretty important. And when the biggest newspaper in your state, the L.A. Times, opines were Democrats sleeping through election day? I don't think that's a real harbinger of great things to come for the Democratic that's an Party opinion, you in California. Said. Yeah, I, I know based on people who Not probably fact. know these things, assuming they're in California. Uh, the, the other thing is, a lot of these House candidates, as uh, Harry pointed out, are just happy to be on the ballot going in November. Many of them are very cash poor, and the DNC itself, as an institution, is not too cash rich to even help them. It's going to be difficult. And across the country, point three, you have Bob Menendez, a seat that no one thought would ever be even competitive New because the New Senate Jersey seat. Senate seat is now competitive because of, of, of the low turnout that came out for him. Can I ask you, though, one real quick question, though? Um, when it comes to the role of Donald Trump, there's a lot of reporting that Donald Trump is going to weigh and take into account loyalty by lawmakers when it comes to who he's going to endorse and not. Do you think he should? Do you think that is a smart way for the party? I think any president would be wise to support people who are going to support their agenda for the next two years. That's not something unique to Donald Trump. What is unique to Donald Trump, though, is that he is the most local man. Is the politics local? He is the most popular president in his own party since Ike, who 74 years ago today has been shredded nationally. That's part of a problem. Oh, we can talk about it forever. Stand by. We got to talk about pardons. Pardon me. I did that. Coming up. Writing a wrong or committing a new one. President Trump's new fixation on granting pardons. That's next. Pardoning Libby uh, was the right thing to do. He's worked this process through the White House Council and um, felt that it was appropriate to pardon Dinesh D'Souza. I stand by my pardon of Sheriff Joe. Today, uh, as president, I've issued an executive grant of clemency, a full pardon posthumously to John Arthur Jack Johnson. 
President Trump has now granted six pardons since taking office, and sources tell CNN he is considering dozens more. A source telling the Washington Post the power to pardon is the president's, quote, new favorite thing. But is his favorite thing turning into an abuse of power? Panel's with me. Evan, thir- at least 30 people they're preparing paperwork on for potential pardons. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're all going to be pardoned. But this is a big deal, Lucille. What do you make of it? I think it's a good thing, but it depends upon who those 30 people are who are being considered for pardons and commutations. Alice Marie Johnson was uh, had her sentence commuted today, and I think that was the right thing. And we should stand up and say the president did the right thing. I want him to also do the right thing for Matthew Charles, the man who was accidentally released from prison uh, by federal authorities after serving, I think it was 21 years, and he rebuilt his life, became a functioning member of society, and now had to report just a few weeks ago back to serve another 10 years. And this gets to this strange place that this White House is, Charles. Jared Kushner has become a proponent of um, sentencing reform. And that is definitely crossing over political lines. And what we see with Alice Johnson is one example of that. It's, it is a strange thing that we're looking at. Well, I, not, it doesn't necessarily have to be strange, but this is what I would keep an eye on and, and, and hope that the president is not doing. Uh, number one, trying to balance uh, on an optic level these horrible yeah. pardons of horrible people who've said horrible things and done horrible things by, and then to balance that by giving, you know, Jack Johnson or, or else. Those are, ex- those are still valuable. Can you accept the horrible to get the good. No, but see, I, but I just, I don't, I don't want to try to play hide and seek with it. Like, okay. I, don't, I, don't okay. want him, I don't want him to try to say, oh, well, well look at these, these good ones I did so that I can get away with the bad ones, right? And, and I don't want him to be trying to send signals with those bad ones as well to people who may be being investigated or charged with the very same kind of things that those people are being pardoned for. I think that, that I hope that that is not happening. My suspicion is that it may very well be happening. Joe, what do you think? Do you I, think this, this is signaling? At, some, at what point do you... Can you at what point do you accept that it's signaling with the Russia investigation? Because a lot of the pardons come to, uh, so far, a lot of the pardons so far have come to where the, they, it is an abuse of justice, right? Well, it's not yeah, just they've served their time or is To be clear, none of the pardons sentence, have like, been related to, to the uh, Russia investigation right. you know, yet thus far. I think all presidents do uh, kind of controversial pardons. I think the, the norm That's is true. to do them towards the end of their second term, not in the middle of their first term when they can come back to, to, to sort of haunt it. I think the president is, is being uh, guided in these things by Javanka. And I think this is not the first thing that they have done where they have driven the Republican Party a little bit to the left outside of their comfort zone as far as prison don't reform. Just, and don't you, but just if you also want to talk think about he the, just likes it? I, 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 I like the power. I, I, I think I someone like convinced I, him that, yeah. that, that Jack Johnson, for example, was, was you know, accused and convicted of a crime that was you know, heinous. I mean, just to think about this person being convicted of that. And I think he made an instant call and said, yeah, that sounds terrible. If, if I can help, I will. Yeah, and made, that's a good thing. He, he made that call as soon as they said... And they asked Obama to do it. He didn't do it. And he was like, Fair enough. Or, I'm going to do it no, just because I hate that guy. Or is it? Or is <laughs> and it? I'm gonna Sylvester do it. Stallone made the appeal and Kim Kardashian made the appeal. Well, I like Rocky and I also like, you know, designers and I like reality television. So maybe, who knows? But I will say that Donald Trump likes to make deals. He likes action. He doesn't like dealing with Congress. He doesn't want to take you know, directions from Mitch McConnell. And so the idea that he can go into an office, sign a piece of paper, and have a tremendous impact on somebody's life, I think is very, very appealing to him in a way that a lot of ways that the presidency kind of goes isn't. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, seriously. Literally. Let's see. Like, the end of the day, there could be 12 more. 
Thank you, everyone. This is day 503, despite what the president says, of the president's uh, administration. And it's also 153 days until the midterm elections. That is the state of America yes. tonight. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Which one are you cheering for? <laughs> <There was> <laughs> <laughs>